After the smash success of Zombie 2, director Lucio Fulci and writer Dardano Scadecci made what they considered their first straightforward horror film with City of the Living Dead, aka The Gates of Hell. The Gates of Hell tapped into a darker po- part of Fulci's psyche, and he sought to continue it in another film in what was to become the Gates of Hell trilogy. Film scholar Philip L. Simpson described the trilogy as being loosely connected by the trope of hapless mortals literally living on top of an entrance to hell and then inadvertently falling into it. The film features the return and refinement of Fulci's interest in eye trauma, body horror, and it is the purest example of his growing obsession with the Catholic Church's interpretation of purgatory. When it comes to what exactly the conception of this film came from, the writer, Scadecci, based it on his own ruminations on death and the suffering of being born condemned to death, of being born to be erased. This world of terror became the title of the film that we are watching tonight. Of course, I'm talking about Lucio Fulci's 1981 magnum opus, The Beyond. Here's a movie you never seen. The map is some ninjas or a crazy death machine. There'll be smiles, there'll be tears. You won't watch a movie for about eight billion years. It's time for death by video. Time for death by video. And now the show will begin. It's that by video. I'm Phil. I'm Kit. And I'm Graham, and we are joined by our very special guests. I'm Phil. I'm Vanessa. Hey, it's Vanessa Young and Phil Sportel back That's on the podcast yet again. Yeah, so uh, so guys, welcome back. So glad to have you back on the podcast. It's very hot in Toronto. It's very, very hot. And uh, we're going to try and keep the, our chatter to a minimum tonight so we can turn the fans back on. So guys, before we get into the beyond, what has anyone has anyone seen anything interesting since we last recorded? Phil. Yes, yeah, so since we last recorded, I rewatched Full Metal Jacket. Nice. Very exciting. Uh yeah, I was you know, I it's a movie of two halves, but uh I've grown to really appreciate the second half. I would argue that the second half is possibly even slightly better than the first half. I agree with you. Especially on that. the sniper set. Yeah, the I'm. I the first half I don't even like. It's it's yeah. all about the second half of yeah. Full Metal Jacket for me. Um, Isn't it amazing that he turned rural England into Vietnam? Yes, the soundstage. Yeah, yeah it's amazing. Um, even finding those like sunsets was crazy. Yeah, it's beautiful. Uh, I watched The Souvenir, one of the best movies of the decade. Uh, Joanna Hogg's, Joanna Hogg's yeah. movie. Uh, also on the Criterion channel, I watched her previous movie, Exhibition, featuring um, former Slits guitarist Viv Albertine. Oh, nice. Big fan yeah. of Slits. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I watched um, another notable rewatch. Uh, me and uh, you, Graham, we went to see The Ooh, Hidden. The Hidden right. Starring a pre- Twin Peaks, comma, as an FBI yeah, agent. agent. It's also a bit of proto Dougie Jones. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Uh, another notable um, watch. It's, it's a, it was a first watch. Not as notable as, say, The Souvenir, but uh, Matteo Garone's uh, new movie, Dogman, which is currently playing at I the Tiffany like Box. Yeah. Yeah. He directed Gamora. That's his best known. I remember that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Actually, me and Vanessa saw that at the, That's a great movie. the dearly missed uh, Cumberland Cinema way, oh, way back wow. when. 
R.I.P. Cumberland. Yeah. Do you remember that film, D? I don't. I feel like I need to give it a second chance because it was, I think it was just went over my head. Yeah, it was long. It was and long I, and I fell asleep, I Yeah, think. I think you and I both were kind of like, we don't really know what's going on. We didn't on. understand it. We were also quite young at the time. Yeah. Have you seen it since? No. Oh, maybe we should revisit. It's cool mob shit. That's what's going on. Yeah. Cool I mob shit. I don't know. I never was in, I never watched The Sopranos. I feel like I'm not really into the mobster stuff, but, um... Maybe I should give it another chance. It's more mob bureaucracy, if anything. Yeah, yeah. Rather than, you know, like Scorsese, hey, we're, cr- we're cracking kneecaps and uh, whacking people. It's not very glamorous, to be no. honest with you. Very unglamorous, yeah. Uh, that's it for now, unless I think of something else. Kit? Oh, hello. What have you seen? <laughs> Sorry. No, I was going to say, what have you seen since we last recorded? We've got a new room set up here where I'm I'm sitting in Lillian's chair and it's it's really hard to figure out how this works. Uh, I've seen a few things. I uh, I saw what did I see? I watched Kong Skull Island. <laughs> it's it's I don't know. I, I uh, the next the very next day I was trying to make small talk with my uh, coworker. And I'm like yeah I watched Kong Skull Island last night. And they were like how was it? And that was pretty much the end of the conversation. There's nothing else to add. It's a uh, it's King Kong versus the military. It's it's basically some uh, movie exec was like, you know all those cool Vietnam films with like CCR on the soundtrack and stuff like that? Can we somehow shoehorn that into a King Kong movie? And um, yeah, yeah, they did. They did that. Cool. Phil, Vanessa, what else have you guys seen? Oh, Kit, you have something else? Sorry. <laughs> this new setup is throwing all of us off. Yeah, um, I watched the HBO limited series Chernobyl, which I highly recommend. Really enjoy that. Highly recommended. Did you see it? I saw it. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Uh, kind of an allegory for uh, climate change. Um, really? I would say so. Yeah. My takeaway was that um, it's one of the few times that uh, science fiction entered our reality. Like it felt very much like it was a setup and played out like a science fiction film. But it's all stuff that happened. Aside from, you know, their narrative embellishments. Yeah, yeah there were a few that they had to do. Um, yeah, basically, uh, an entire team of scientists turned into Emily Watson. Into one, yeah, one yeah. actress. <laughs> Which is fine. Uh, yeah. You gotta they do that. They needed to flesh out the female roles, I think. that's. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, but no, it was good. Uh, kind of a, I don't know. I, I felt it had a, like a climate change kind of aspect to it. Kind of the same kind of thing. Like, we... Um, we messed up, and now we need to undertake this like crazy effort on at the last minute and convince everybody this is a real emergency and do something and pull everyone together and make sure that we're not we're we're, we're minimizing the damage. Like, there's no way we're gonna um, yeah fix everything and make it the way it was. But it's gonna be hundreds of years before that can happen. But yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, through the power of the worker. The I think the coolest part about. <laughs> the the coolest part, I mean, in the series, the one standout moment for me was was early on in the series. There's a moment where one of the workers encounters the sort of destroyed core, and they're looking down, and there's this crazy like sound coming out, off of it, and there's this weird light, and they're looking down, and you, you know, you know that that he's just signed his own death sentence. Oh yeah, and it's it's uh, quite the death sentence too that he's in for. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that was good. And then uh, I also, uh, speaking of our theater, Death by Theater pod shoot, uh, offshoot, I, uh, I saw Othello in Stratford Very the other nice. day. Yeah, it was quite good. 
uh, army fatigues, uh, kind of an update. But it was it was really good. I actually cried at the end. I wasn't expecting to. It, so is it easier to get killed by theater? <laughs> it might be. Oh, that reminds me. Uh, RA, uh, belated R.I.P. to uh, Franco Zeffirelli, who uh, passed mm. away. He directed the '60s um, uh, Romeo and Juliet with Olivia Hussey I, that we I all remember. saw in yeah. high school. Yeah, fast forward for, through for that many one of part. us. It yeah. was uh, our first boob um, seen Just on the TV. One. Yeah. Just the one. Just yeah. the one. <laughs> Didn't he also do uh, Mel Gibson's Hamlet? Did he? No, no, no. That was a. Uh, oh, I don't know. He might have. Wait, Mel Gibson did a Hamlet? Mel Gibson yeah, did a he, uh, Macbeth, didn't he? And that he was did Polanski. Hamlet. Polanski. This was pre-Brana. This was like Lethal Weapon era. I don't Mel remember Gibson, that. Yeah. I remember Mel Gibson being in Macbeth and that... that no. Oh, who, who am I thinking of? I don't know. Polanski's Macbeth, that was a Hefner production. Yeah. I saw that in grade 11. Oh, did you? Yeah. Naked uh, witches and all? Oh, uh, our English teacher <laughs> trolled uh, the class. It was like, there were like maybe two girls in the class. Like the entire class was like a sausage fest of like very bro dudes. Oh, God, They yeah. saw Playboy production credits and then like, you know, like... My be English teacher Woo! got a, Yeah, she warned us and like uh, <laughs> it's the not, English teacher got a lot of satisfaction out of showing uh, it's old, not what you're uh, looking for, yeah. Witch nudity. <laughs> old witch nudity. Yeah. That's my new band name. Um that's that's about it for me, I think. I can't think of anything else. Uh yeah, you're right. There was a uh, Franco Zeffirelli production of Hamlet with Mel Gibson and Glenn Close. Yeah. If I recall, not remember that at all. If I recall correctly, that Mel Gibson Hamlet got a special shout out in Clueless by Alicia Silverstone because she doesn't want to read Hamlet, so she just watches the Mel Gibson Hamlet. So. <laughs> I, I, just as I good. honestly, I remember that. I honestly thought that was just a joke. No, that was true. Um, one more note about Chernobyl. Uh, I was reading this interesting story about Chernobyl, and apparently, only one reactor went down during the disaster and the other two were still used up until the year 2000. So for a full yeah. like HBMK, 14 years, well yeah, full 14 years, people were like working at that, at that facility and probably contracting cancer. There was a, um, there was another, uh, it's one of the few nuclear disasters. It's one that was like the, one of the least publicized that I always thought would make a great movie. Mm -hmm. And it was in Brazil and they had shut down a hospital and the radiology lab, they had left their, um, what was it called? Curium. I think it's called Curium. It's a radioactive material. They just mm -hmm. sort of left it there. I don't know why. They shut down a hospital. They left it there. So people looted the hospital and they found mm -hmm. this weird glowing rock. They made jewelry out of it. They passed, passed pieces around and all this stuff. And it became one of the biggest nuclear incidents ever to happen. Yeah, there's lots of stories Brazil. of... Not in rural, in, in, in urban in, Brazil. Yeah. There's lots of stories of like back when they were handing out like you know, nuclear isotopes or irradiated isotopes, just like as, you know, educational tools favors. or whatever. And that's Children's like, parties. They'll find them in, like, you know, schools that have been around since the 60s. Someone will be clearing out their, like, storage room and be like, oh, this is hazardous nuclear, like, irradiated nuclear waste. And uh, that's just been sitting there for decades. So, uh, Phil and Vanessa, what have you guys seen recently that you liked? A whole lot of each other. Oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> that is pure fromage. We did not make a movie, though. We make a movie. What have you guys seen, though? Anything interesting? I know that we uh, watched I Am Mother yep. uh, a week ago. Yep. On Canada Day. Oh, yeah. So bring the yeah, 150. I saw that, I saw that too. Was, yeah. that there? was that me? Yeah, that was you. Oh. You were there. You were I there. there. I was wondering. We were all there. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know. I didn't know anything about it going into it. And, I think uh, I passed out. 
It was. Uh, do you guys know anything about it? Have you heard anything about it? Science it is fiction. from Film Australia. Oh, is it? Uh, yeah, it's yeah, it was shot in Australia, right. and it uh, set in a like in a like dystopian a future where where the human race has been like kind of annihilated, but not really. And then this one yeah. girl is grown from an embryo and raised by a computer by a robot that refers to itself as mother. Yeah. So um, a role model for future motherhood, or is mm-hmm. maybe. Um, I don't know. She sounded kind of like Siri, and she voiced by Rose Byrne. She was by yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. I forgot mm-hmm. that. Um, I don't know. I like uh, just based on what I read online just now briefly. There <laughs> wasn't a lot of. Um, I guess the story was a bit um, sparse, or like it was. It could have had more plot. I feel like there wasn't enough. It was. It, they, could, I think they relied. It was stretched too much, out. They, I think they relied too much on our own sort of preconceived assumptions about robots and AI and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. They didn't do enough work to establish the distinct nature of this particular circumstance. Yeah. And it, it, I, I mean, the production design was brilliant. Um, and there were some great performances. And we got to see Hilary Swank, which I, I don't think we see often enough because she's a great actress. Yeah. But quite um, it. yeah, it just it just felt uh, a touch half baked. Like they they really needed to get d- dig down and figure out what what this was really about. Oh, I, I think to... I think everyone was a bit underwhelmed by the ending. By as the well. denouement, yeah. Yeah, yeah. denouement. Mm-hmm. And anyways. Yeah, I mean they're they're sort of like ooh, it's a mystery. You got to figure it out. But it's like mm, that's. There yeah. were a couple different ways it could have gone. I was kind of rooting that the robot was going to turn out to be a good guy, but uh, and in a way the robot kind of was, but it wasn't. I, I had this theory towards the beginning that it was going to turn out that the robot was um, training a stock of humans to be its maintenance workers. Hmm, interesting. To sort of, to, to, to keep it going. And so this is all kind of like a extended ruse, you know, like we've destroyed the human race and now we're going we're gonna to rebuild the human race to be our sort of biological maintenance workers so that the robot species can dominate, you know? It's like a, a Matrix prequel. Yeah, it felt very much like a Matrix prequel, and maybe this is the thing they were trying. Shocking, they haven't done that, by the way. Uh, mm. I, I think they, this is the thing they're trying to. They were trying to dodge as a movie because they sort of got so far, and they're like, "Oh crap!" There's like wh- a lot of Matrix stuff, and I say, "You know what? Lean yeah. into it. Say it's an unofficial Matrix." Prequel and there's and there's that. so many like you know. It reminded me of like sci-fi short stories that I used to read when I was younger. Like so, like if you ever True. got, yeah. um, I can't remember which. Like it was like a, a quarterly book of short stories that were sci- hard sci-fi quote unquote and it kind of reminded me of like something from that where it's like you know a child raised by a robot that thinks that the human race died from a uh, disease but it turns out that's not the case yeah and I mean I think maybe that feeling of betrayal would have been enough to carry the last act of the film because it's like I've spent my whole life being raised to take care of you you've take care t- taken care of me we've formed this bond and yet you know, and I'm not uh, like uh, I'm not related to any of these humans that died. I'm completely artificial. I'm gen- genetically engineered, but somehow I still mm-hmm. feel this bond to it. Like there's a lot there about what yeah. it means to be human, but they they sort of sidestep that for some yeah. You well, know, well I think they kept uh, poorly it to, defined mystery. How long was it? It was like two hours or something. Yeah, they're, they're it was one of those things where like it was a two hour movie that felt like it could have been ninety minutes, and it would have been like uh, there would have been more to chew on. Not more to chew on, but like it would have left you with enough questions to keep you chewing. Whereas yeah. it's kind of like, oh, this is all there is. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. true. It's true. And I mean, they didn't make that, whatever mystery they left at the end, they didn't make it intriguing enough. Yeah. Um, but, uh, mm. yeah. Yeah. So, mm. Vanessa, what else have you seen lately? 
Um, well, I saw this a couple of weeks ago. What's oh, that? Yeah, we watched was, the oh remake. What did you watch? Oh my God. Go ahead. We watched Vanessa. the remake of Overboard. Oh my God. Gender yeah. swap. Gender swap. They swapped it. roles. I love so Overboard, Anna... but it's so problematic. Yeah. Well, now no, Anna Ferris plays this like single mother who's um, studying to be a nurse and she's got kids and she sort of gets this. She sort of has a, a bunch of different jobs. Like she's like a pizza delivery woman and then she she cleans boats. So that's how mm -hmm. she meets this. Uh, Interiors, by the she way. Meets Interiors. The, yeah. The character who should be, well, the Goldie Hawn character in the original uh, Overboard. Sorry, I'm just looking up the actor's name because I didn't recognize him. He's, mm -hmm. um, I, I mean, Eugenio Derbez. Ooh. He was memorable. Eugenio. And he's like the spoiled, like rich billionaire, guy. rich mm -hmm. guy. And uh, she cleans his, uh, she just like, basically they have a falling out and then he like throws her off the does she does he push her off the boat i think yeah, he does think right yeah and then anyways but yeah so he's the one who gets amnesia he's the one because i'm not going to tell you how he gets it but okay. he actually i was going to say if you know it's fine it's just like if phil talks he needs to have a oh, microphone sorry, close sorry. to it's okay it's okay I thought it was you, do you want right? me to tell you like the whole film no I don't no know no it's just, just did you like it oh yeah did i like it uh how did it, it second was, to the original because the original was, had kurt russell and goldie hahn two huge pillars of yes. personality and i i quite like anna ferris yes um and when and like i kind of see her almost as like a modern day goldie hahn because like if you've ever seen the show mom it's not that great but every now and then it touches on some it there's moments for her to really act yeah. and that's when you're like oh shit she actually knows what she's doing right um it's, it's the kind of movie you can put on in the background while you're baking a pie you know or or you know trimming your dog yeah. or something and you catch as catch can you you pop in for some scenes you dip out for some scenes yeah. it's still fun i don't know it's so the the, the whole premise is so like overboard no. pun intended no, no. but yeah it's just it's uh, i think it works better in the, like in the original i just like i don't know it just feels mm -hmm. like it like why they pulled this, they why? pulled it off better in the original yeah. i mean remakes are so difficult i don't i mean it wasn't as good i'd like to see the original again to to give you my final opinion, but just, it's been a while since I saw the original, so. Do I know? I just wanted to pop in and say the uh, smiley face uh, with Anna Faris is an underrated stoner movie from the mid aughts. Oh think. Yeah. yeah. See, I mean, I mean, Anna Faris—that was mm. a name I recognized, but I feel like she's, you know, she's not as prominent anymore. Well, um, show mom's still going apparently. Mm. Yeah, I, I don't know. We're That's witnessing what, uh, the, the what's her yeah. face, Allison Janney Allison is on. Janney. Yeah. I've never seen that. I, I mean, like, media is, is so far from being monolithic mm -hmm. at this point. I, I, I don't know what's what half yeah. the time anyways. Yeah, I mostly remember her Cameron Diaz impersonation in Lost in Translation. Which apparently hurt Cameron Diaz's career. Because <laughs> everyone's like, oh, we know exactly yeah, who you're yeah. pretending to be. Wow, it didn't get a very good review in Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> Rotten Tomatoes gave it 4.6 Of course not. Well, here's the thing. Oh, and well-deserved. Rotten mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Rotten Tomatoes is bullshit. It's not a real thing that you can, like, gauge a movie on. Yeah. Wait, isn't I, it like... I think, I think it's, like, a useful tool. Like, nah, it's not. How's this, how's this movie doing? Because it's got... It, you know, it's like what, if, a, what a different critics think. It, it's it's basically like the the electoral college mm -hmm. of, of movie ratings. But it's not a it's not where, a bible. Yeah, but the, basically, the no, with it, 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 if if you if you give it something a vaguely positive review, if you give it two and a half out of five stars, then it's they can they, they consider it a thumbs up, and then they say, okay, well that counts as a hundred percent in our rating system, and we're going to average everything. It's either a hundred or zero, and that yeah. yeah. 
That's it already. It up. It's, yeah. it's and silly. And also, whereas, yeah. like, so one of the films... Uh, see, the, see the original before you see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the original had charm to spare. Yeah. But I do have to say, back to Rotten Tomatoes, so, like, the film The Witch, for the longest time, its audience rating was 50%. And a friend of ours saw it and was like, I can't, I'm not going to go see it. Why? Well, because it got a D. I'm like, no, no, a D, me, like 50% means half the audience liked it, half it didn't. Yeah, yeah it could be polarizing. Yeah. It could but be, it could be, it could be like. films are good sometimes. Yeah. Hmm. It, something that has a 50% rating, it could be 50% 5 out of 5 and 50% yeah. 0 out of 5. Exactly. And something that has a 100% rating could be all of them rating at 51%. Yeah. Exactly. Right? Like it's. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually take into account. But I mean, they have to find some way of, of, of aggregating well, all those reviews. Well, they could just not do it. Yeah, they could. You could just read a review or, or maybe listen they write, to a they podcast could, or... They could write their own reviews. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, not... Yeah, exactly. I just... I don't, yeah, like, they don't, could shut down. I feel like Overboard yeah. is just... The mm-hmm. humor is... Like, it's funnier. The original. Yeah. Like, this one, it just fell a bit flat for me. Especially, like, the three... Terror, like terrorizing children that she has to raise. Like one guy who only right. talks like Pee Wee Herman, one guy who only reads pornography, and the other kid. Yeah, they really softened that one up. Oh yeah, that does I'm not surprised. It's two, yeah. two little girls. Oh. Or three? No, it's three. I'm sorry. There's three girls. Yeah, three girls, and it's so heartwarming at the end, and everyone gets along. But so is the. Love. Love, I loved. I love the joke at the end of the first Overboard, where it's like. They they take the like the Coast Guard goes to track down Goldie Hawn and like Kurt Russell and the boys are in it, and Goldie Hawn like leaps into the water to swim to him and he leaps in the water to swim to her, and then after they rescue him, uh, she like looks over at the like hugs the boys and like later on while Kurt and Goldie are like you know realizing like this is real and she looks over and sees the boys scribbling down stuff on pads of paper and and she's like. Well, what are they doing? And Kurt Russell's like, well, you're rich. And she's like, yeah. And he's like, well, they're writing out their Christmas list. And it's like the middle of summer. It's like, it's such a, a funny, sweet moment. Oh, yeah. I I forgot to this one. This is a uh, half recommend, but very notable. I talked mm-hmm. to you about this grand previously. Uh, I saw Climax. Uh, oh, uh, the, the Gaspar, Gaspar Noé, Noé, yes, which I saw back in uh, at TIFF last year. Yeah, like... It's surprising that there's mostly positive consensus on the movie. Yeah, I think like, out of all of Gaspar Noé's films, it's yeah. the least divisive. Yeah, which I don't really get, but uh, the first half of the movie is incredible. Usually his visual style leaves me kind of cold, but uh, this movie is just visually incredible, like, especially that first half, like just like the visual and rhythmic energy of the first half. And then the second half, it's... Like... Uh, there's like the initial shock value, which is okay, mm-hmm. fine. But then, like, by the end of the movie, it just becomes kind of numbing. I guess that's kind of the yeah. point. But I was just kind of burned and then out by at the, the end, end of the- when you realize it was that girl that spiked the punch, and you're just like, yeah. "You so and so." Yeah. I I would recommend see climax. It's, yeah, for it's sure. Definitely visual. Oh, for stunning. sure. Yeah. yeah. Regardless uh, of what you you think of it, it's still yeah. there's at least something to recommend. To enjoy, yeah, you yeah. will you'll find something you good. You will in it. have strong opinions yes. about it, like anything mm-hmm. no way does really. Yep. Um okay, so we'll quickly go through what I've seen. I've seen I actually thought like initially like, oh we haven't seen a lot and then I realized we haven't recorded it since June first. So I'm just gonna cut it down to two films. I'm gonna talk about Certain Fury. So Certain Fu- Certain Fury Certain Fury. Certain Fury starred Tatum O'Neill and oh, I can't remember the actress, but she's in fame. And she so it's both two Oscar winners. Oscar winners: Tatum O'Neill for Paper Moon, and the other actress. She won Best Song for Fame. I'm gonna live forever from Fame. 
and it stars Irene Cara, I think. Who that's who it is. Yeah. Irene Cara. She and, also won for Flashdance. What a feeling, I think. Oh yeah, she sang that song too. Yeah. So she is. So it's basically two girls who are picked up, arrested, and they're going to be tried. Uh, one girl is kind of a streetwalker. The other, the other one, Irene Cara's character, she comes from a good family, but her mom died, so she's kind of going through some stuff. And when they're brought into the court to be tri- like, like to for their hearing at the start, like it's a whole bunch of girls brought in on a truck of like delinquent youth or whatever. Two girls hatch this plot. They steal. They like slit the throat of one of the guards. Steal guns. It's this gory, violent shootout to start the movie. And you're like, holy crap! Tatum O'Neill and Irene Cara get dragged into it, and it is this amazing story of female friendship. Of they're like, what the hell? They're gonna think we killed them. Like death is all around them, and they just have to survive to get out of the city on one night. <laughs> I didn't know that Tatum O'Neill had a Linda Blair phase. Yeah, this and it's. I think it's. Uh, it, it was. It was New Concord or New World. Oh wow! It okay. was. Yeah, it was New World. It was uh, Roger Corman when he was still doing it. Yeah. How'd you so, watch this? Uh... Uh, I rented the DVD from Bay Street Video. Okay. Literally, the DVD was like the so Bay Street Video. They have all their DVDs like hanging. Yeah. So like literally, it was open to certain fury, and I was like that movie. Just the cover alone. It is such a good film. Like I loved it to death. It's was probably it like an Anchor Bay joint. Or? Um, no, it was Keno Lover. Okay. So I actually, oh, uh, to me, I think it's my discovery of the year. Excellent. I loved it. Um, and then the other film I want to talk about is BC Butcher, which I saw last week in London, Ontario, uh, with the director of the film Kansas Bowling in attendance. Uh, her real name. Her real name. And uh, sister is her sister is Parker Love Bowling. And then uh, her father is like Dakota. <laughs> her father is like, like Nashville Bowling or something is his name. No. Yes, they are the they're like the the grandkids of hippies. Um, so, anyways, it is the story of you know that age old story of uh, cave women who get jealous. They murder someone who might be having an affair with a caveman who is played by Kato Kalin, who gives a stellar performance in the film, which I never thought I would say about Kato Kalin. Uh, and then shenanigans ensue. There is a, uh, a qu- not quite human Cro-Magnon in the woods known as the Butcher, who is out there killing any. Uh, basically, so they kill the woman that is having the affair with Kato Kalin. The BC Butcher finds her body, falls in love with the corpse, and then decides to take revenge on the tribe that killed her. And it somehow ends up a happy ending. Huh. And that's all I'll say about that. Um, then uh, the film I saw. Yeah. Yeah, the film I saw yesterday, I'll just talk about it briefly. It's a film I've seen before. I've only ever seen it on the big screen. It is Perot Le Faux, Jean-Luc Godard's 1965 film, starring Anna Karina and Jean-Paul Belamondo. Um, a reunion between him and Jean-Paul from Breathless, his first film. I love the film. It's beautifully shot. Uh, it's so fun. It's basically they play two former lovers who reconnect and decide, hey, let's go on the lamb, And they go on the lamb. And that is uh, all I'll talk about. What I've seen. So let's. It's the, one of the more colorful Jean-Luc Godard yeah, movies, and it's odd how like his and style wild editing as well. It's odd how like his not as wild as Weekend though, but it's oh, odd how his sure, yeah. his style kind of like fluctuated because I also saw Weekend recently, and that is a latter film, but it feels like an older film. Like like Perolofo feels very modern in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very colorful, very lit, and the storyline is cohesive. Whereas Weekend feels more like a first year film student's film. Yeah, especially that long ass tracking shot that takes forever yeah. with the cars blaring their horns, and I had a headache going yeah. into that movie, and I had a worse headache coming out of it. Yeah, Pierre Lafoe is like definitely a more influential movie as well. Yeah, I love Pierre Lafoe. Oh, I just wanted to uh, remind all of us that we all, all saw Serial Mom. Yes. Right, Serial Mom. 
Uh, I love that film. John Waters. Phil, wa- Phil uh, S. wants to talk about it. It's one of the greatest films of all time. <laughs> I agree. I, I totally at 100% agree. It is definitely one of the greatest films of all time. I, I mean, the, the thing about the film that, that I don't think I would have appreciated it earlier in my life was like how stylistically confident the film is and yet oh, yeah. how like just bad shit you know crazy the direction like it's 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 very much like its own thing you're not going to find anything else like serial mall there were a, a few people at the showing who were confused as all hell <laughs> like what are we watching yeah, yeah I, I mean, it's it's which like, I think is the is the reaction that Graham wants. It's it's That's a what dish. I aspire to. It's a dish that mixes ingredients you never thought to combine. Yeah, like um, um, I think the phrase that I I, I came I, I it sort of hit me as far as the direction was concerned was it, it had a sort of boozy permissiveness to it. Yeah. You know, like John Waters was sitting off to the side with a glass of wine, just saying, "Yeah, just do it your way. Just do it your way." A white wine spritzer. Yeah, white wine spritzer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Vanessa, did you have anything to add to our serial mom discussion? Mimosa, maybe. A mimosa, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Yeah, what does John Waters drink? That's a good question. I think he likes a good... Uh, a good dirty martini. Dirty martini, that's exactly where I was going. Yeah, I probably. really want to go... In, in Baltimore, he has an annual weenie roast, and he has the Mummies play every... every uh, one of my favorite bands, the Mummies play every every summer. John Waters is great. I love serial mom to death. I think it's got to be um, Kathleen Turner's best role ever. I mean, body heat. Yeah, yeah. She, she figured it out. She figured yeah. out how, like, how to portray. Um, w- w- I a think well mannered serial like, killer. Yeah, no, it's like um, she's she's triggered by like, you know, protectiveness over her children and like a sense, sort of sense of disgust about other people's behavior. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. I don't know. Like, it's it's not the kind of serial killer motivation you're used to seeing either, and it's mm-hmm. not the, the, the persona either. Like, no, she, just, she she's just have into it for the joy of, joy of killing. Yeah, she likes killing and she likes being a mom. They also show clips from uh, Texas Chainsaw and oh, Texas Chainsaw Two, I think it is. Or is it one? I think it's I think it's two, and then yeah. there's the Herschel Gordon Lewis. Yes, joint, they show uh, Blood Feast, which was actually the the first quote unquote. Oh, and film. then there's uh, also a certain Chesty Morgan movie that a character watches. Yeah, that was a funny scene. Yeah. So on that note, guys, I think it's time to watch Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. We'll be right back. Beyond. Eliza, aren't you? Yes. My name is Emily. I've been looking for you. Go back to where you came from and hurry. Leave this place. Sixty years ago, everybody in this hotel disappeared. Every last person. A painter called Spike, who lived here, closeted in his room, had found a key. 
those accidents. You think you'll um, give it up now? I couldn't do that if I wanted to. <laughs> Well, I won't give in. nobody here. I can feel a presence. Somebody else is in here. Oh, some weird story that Emily told me about room 36. Emily? Who's Emily? The blind girl that lives in the old house by the crossroads. seven gateways to hell, because through that gateway, evil will invade the world. And we're back! That was Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. A.K.A. Ooh. Seven Gates. Uh, seven, uh, well, no, it was released initially in North America under the title Seven Doors of Death, Doors which of is death. no longer actually in circulation. However, I did see an illegal print of it. And I mean print. Ooh. It was a 35mm print that the distributor, the original distributor, Claims was destroyed in 1985, mm. but was not. And I saw some, 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 uh, someone renegade archivist. Someone uh, smuggled it out. Yeah, allegedly, initially, the distributor told him that it was supposed to be. Oh, it must be a bathroom print, which was a bootleg. What was the term for a bootleg print? <laughs> However, it was not a bathroom print because you would you would make you would uh, develop the film in in your bathtub. I can imagine. What a wily character. Yeah, that was originally released by uh, Terry Levine at Aquarius Releasing. So. Uh, before we get into the guts of the film, <laughs> you do mean guts. Yes. Yep. Um, the film reunites producer Fabrizio De Angelis with director Lucio Fulci and writer Dardano Scadecci. Scadecci and Fulci collaborated on the script with writer Giorgio Maurizio, who. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably screwing that up. Who had previously worked with Fulci on his Italian crime film, 1980s Contraband. Maurizio. Um, <laughs> That's how it's spelled, Maurizio. How would you say? Uh, no, it's a fact of life. Italian names are fun to say. <laughs> Maurizio was best known for writing a series of uh, what's called Commedia Sexy all'Italiana, <laughs> which, which translated means sex comedy Italian style, such as the film. You got to do it in the Mario voice. I'm not going to do it, don't I? No, such as the films The Teacher at the Beach with the Whole Class. Um, the Wife on Vacation and The Lover in the Town. And, of wow. course, everybody's favorite, The Wife in White and The Lover in Pepper. The I, Wife in White. Okay. And the, lover. the Lover in Pepper. 
I don't know. Uh, was, wasn't that cheap? Hot pepper? Is it hot pepper? I don't know. There's no There's no the salty weffer and the peppery lover. That'd be good. Um, so the initial concept of the film, as described by Fulci, was about a couple moving into a house where underneath is hell. That's it. Much of the plot was devised based on vague ideas. <laughs> Much of the plot was devised uh, based on vague ideas Fulci had for various death scenes, as well as several key words that he felt united his vision. The, the design of the uh, Abon symbol, which is on the arm of the painter in the film and on various walls in the film, uh, was made by Fulci himself based on the shape of a trivial amateur tattoo his daughter had gotten on her arm. He did this because he thought the tattoo was stupid and wanted to embarrass his daughter. Uh, Scherecci explained that the choice of setting the film in a hotel so, hold at, on hold yes, on pause. Yes. It, so he thinks his own movie is stupid enough to make her daughter his daughter look bad is this everything is no, this like the no, pinhead no, no, no. this is all balancing no. on no like, maybe if i make this movie my daughter will get really embarrassed no his whole thing was like <laughs> his whole thing was so because his daughter on the on the second disc of the blu-ray released by Grindhouse Releasing said that like she came home with this tattoo and he's like that is so stupid I'm gonna make it the symbol for for demons in my movie just to embarrass you because then you're gonna be walking around and people are gonna think oh you got the tattoo from the movie and you're like no the, the movie got it from me so that was his, yeah and who's was gonna believe thinking. her at that point exactly it's far more clever um, let's see here. Uh, Scarecci explained that the choice of setting the film in a hotel was an excuse, as were the characters, but what counted the most was the weaving of pure emotion. The film was... <laughs> Come on. <laughs> we all experienced pure emotion during this film. Wait. Vanessa screamed out loud. The weaving of pure emotion. The weaving, the weaving of pure emotion. Of pure emotion. <laughs> Vanessa, you screamed that you, you like let out a shriek. I was really impressed. I was scared. Yes, this I movie still holds up. It might have been that your pure emotion got woven. Uh... <laughs> Emotion. It what? wove your emotions. Wove my, no, no. I mean, it scared me. Scared yeah, me. Was it great. a tapestry of fear? <laughs> <laughs> Stop. The, the quilt of fear. Lucio Fulci's The Beyond. I would watch that movie. The quilt of fear. <laughs> yeah. From the producers of Deathbed, the bed that eats people, comes the quilt <laughs> and, of fear. Uh, how to make an American quilt. Uh, yeah. Um, so, back to The Beyond. The film was mostly shot on location in New Orleans. However, the Italians didn't do enough research in New Orleans to realize how high their water table was and that no one had basements due to flooding, which is also why the graveyards had crypts above the ground. Um, this was one of Fulci's first films where the cast were almost entirely English speakers. Fulci, not knowing English, had to mime most of his direction t for the film, which has come up a lot. A lot of Italian film directors direct English-speaking actors, like we brought up during while we were watching this. Sergio Leone, it was only, I think, until maybe the very late 80s that he actually learned English. So for all of the Once Upon a Time in... Like one year before he died? Like one year before he died, yeah. <laughs> so for all of the, the dollars showed you with Clint Eastwood, he didn't speak any English. For Once Upon a Time in the West, he, he mimed to Charles Bronson like how to act. Um, and well, even, Once Upon a Time in New York, you said. He's like, no, I don't need to. They couldn't afford a translator? No, they, they definitely had... <laughs> They definitely well, once upon a time in America, I think, is the film I'm thinking of. I keep on saying New York. <laughs> I'm just imagining this Italian made, guy coming to town. I'm looking at you. I'm just imagining an Italian yeah. guy coming to town in Hollywood, not speaking a word of English, and managing to make a movie just by, like, yelling at people. Well, no, it's because they made films in Italy that made money in America. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And there, there were, like, allegedly so, on the Beyond, there was a PA, actually, who spoke Italian, who, like, translated on Lucio's behalf. Oh, okay. Yeah. And this was circumstances, which is... Yeah, I was just like, oh, just, we luckily have a PA that speaks speaks Italian. 
I was about to say speaks Italy. Um, <laughs> Do not entry. Yeah. Uh, the special effects scenes were mostly filmed at Di Polio Studios in Rome. For the final sequence of the film, set in the beyond itself, the, fi- the crew filmed it in an empty soundstage which had, been left o- which had leftover sound, sand from a previous film. Leftover sound. <laughs> leftover sound. <laughs> yeah, you never know. And that's when the director uttered the famous words, that's good enough. Yeah. Um, the bodies on the ground were actually random civilians, and by civilians I mean they were actually homeless Italians who were hired and paid for in booze. <laughs> so they were like who were already there. So the original bum fights. I, I thought you were half serious. I, I'm oh I'm I'm God. being serious. Yeah. Like they. What happened was the to they needed people to lie naked on the ground covered in dirt for a day. So they were like, who's who's close by? Hey, you bum, come over here. Yeah. Do you want a, do you want a bottle of whiskey? Who does that already? Let's find somebody who, who lies naked in the dirt all day already. <laughs> oh, come on. I wouldn't say that. No, but, but it's the prejudice of the filmmakers that's showing through. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's you know, they're, they're much different times. They're doing it for art. Exactly. So, actress Catriona McCall returns from the Gates of Hell to star as Lisa Merrill in the film. She would continue to appear in the Gates of Hell trilogy in the final installment, The House by the Cemetery. Yeah, and she got maggots thrown in her face, so... In Gates of Hell. In this one, she just had... No maggots in this one. Maybe that was, like, part of her contract. I don't think she thinks she got damp in this film. I think... No, she did when no, Arthur... She walked, she walked through many a crypt. Uh, damn, yeah. That was interesting <laughs> phrasing there, Graham. I said... Damp is a very mild form of wetness. <laughs> I was trying to avoid saying wet. Um, the film features David freaking Warbeck as Dr. John McCabe. We previously saw him in our episode on the unfortunate Karate Warrior 6. Um, he is that wa- the full title? Yes, Karate... No, Karate Warrior 6. It's for us that it's unfortunate. It is a very bad movie. It's also an Italian film. He stuck around there. He was like, oh, yeah, sure. He did so... Well, he was only in one scene in Karate Warrior 6. I love it, too. He showed up at the end to be like, you can do it, son, to the Karate Warrior, um, whose name was Larry. And I wait, remember... Wait, is this a Karate Kid knockoff? Yes, they made, and they made six of them and a TV show. We, we only watched the sixth one. <laughs> Um, where they go to Greece. I, okay, so, so this one, I, I kind of imagine after they made the first one, people are like, oh, so you made that Karate Kid movie? And they're like, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Give there's, us money. There's almost no karate in the sixth one. It's rather, there's a lot of motocross. Bad motocross. <laughs> very, like, very slow motocross, yeah. There's some fake karate that's shown from uh, the chest up from very far away yeah no I remember Kit's exact description of the main character Larry as Larry's karate is garbage and he is no yeah no their their very slow bike chase bike motocross thing was awesome too so um Back to David Warbeck. He was a New Zealand actor who studied at the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art in London, England. His first appearance in film was in the film Wolf's Head, The Legend of Robin Hood in 1969, where he played the title character. His first Italian film was actually in Sergio Leone's A Festival of Dynamite in 1971. Wolf's Head or Robin Hood? Robin Hood. Okay. Um, So anyways, in A Festival of Dynamite in 1971... He played this small but important character of Nolan, who only appeared in flashbacks of the main character, John, who was played by James Coburn. Uh, he worked with notorious director Russ Meyer in Russ Meyer's attempt to make a black exploitation film called Black Snake. Oh, God. Um, much like Richard... That's a, that's, a, that's a bit much, isn't it, that title? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, well, I mean, have you ever seen a Russ Meyer film? They're all a bit much. 
Um, so he then, uh, much like Richard Johnson in Zombie, call back to our first Fulci film, Warbeck was also considered for the role of James Bond. However, it went to Roger Moore. Interestingly enough, uh, David Warbeck was paid a retainer fee for every single James Bond film that Roger Moore did um, as an insurance policy so that if Moore quit or threatened to walk away, uh, David Warbeck could immediately step into the role. <laughs> I feel like they walked David Warbeck into the room and they're just like, if you quit, <laughs> He's this is your over. legacy. Yeah. <laughs> Pass the mic to me, I think she had something to say. Did you have something to say, Vanessa? Um, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Say something. Come on. Come on. Come on. You are. Did they? Were they friends, Roger Moore and David Warbeck? I honestly don't know. I, I guess probably not. When there's constantly a guy behind you being like, just like every time. But he Ro- had to be there. Like while he had they to were be filming? close to where they were filming. Oh, so like, okay. I'm I'm pretty sure every time Roger Moore turned around, David Warbeck was just like. <laughs> He's like watching him. I just I'm reali- surprised David Warbeck didn't in- invest his money in getting rid of Roger Moore. <laughs> like, you think? No, so, he probably watched Octopus. He's like, nah, Roger Moore can have a view to yeah. kill. So, uh, what happened was when Roger Moore actually retired, David Warbeck again went up for the role of Bond, but he was considered oh too old at that point, which is odd because, like, in this movie, which is 81, and I think. Roger Moore's last Bond was like what 84, 85 it was, it was 85 yeah. it was 85 with a view to a kill like David Warbeck might have been like 41 or something and Roger Moore was clearly a senior citizen yeah he was he was at least 60 yeah yeah he was well into his 60s that's the one where he did Grace Jones right yeah yeah, yeah. where Duran 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 they did the theme Christopher Walken yeah. was the villain oh gosh yeah what a great movie <laughs> a new James Bond that um, Chris, uh, um, Grace Jones walked off set or something because she had a cameo but yeah. she was pissed off or something I, I wouldn't I wouldn't I wouldn't like, I, I mean, that's true I just heard it I heard it too and I'm pretty sure it is like that That the current James Bond film whatever it's called James Bond 25 is the working title it oh god close the door close the door close the door Pamela oh my god you scared me god Damn raccoons! So for for those listening, uh, one of Toronto's stupidest animals, the raccoon, just attempted to break into hey, my apartment. Hey. By stupidest, you mean the smartest? <sighs> no, they're stupid. I've seen that David Attenborough documentary? Every night they the noble hear Toronto them. raccoon. Um, so anyways, David Warbeck, he would go on to appear in Lucio Fulci's Edgar Allan Poe adaptation of The Black Cat in 1981, the same year as oh, The is Beyond. That, is that good? That sounds good. It's uh, I haven't seen it, but it's been said to be quite good. Who? He would go on to work with uh, the director Antonio Margaretti in the Indiana Jones knockoffs, Hunters of the Golden Cobra, and the Ark of the Sun God. He also appeared in Margaretti's Deer Hunter knockoff, The Last Hunter. His last film was the British vampire film Razorblade Smile. Deer Hunter knockoff. I want to see this film. Oh, my God. (laughs) The Moose Hunter. Does it also have, like, a 40-minute Catholic wedding? Jesus. Possibly. His very last film was the British vampire film Razorblade Smile, which he filmed in 1997, shortly before passing away from cancer. That's a really great title for a film. Razorblade Smile, yeah. A very 90s title, Mm -hmm. too. So, uh, rest in peace, David Warbeck. I, I said he kind of has a uh, like a European Jack Nicholson look. He does indeed. He's, he's yeah. very Brosnonian. So the interesting thing is that when they were restoring this film in the mid-90s, they actually went to David Warbeck and had him record an audio commentary for it, and it gave him such fond memories of this film that he himself wrote a sequel that he wanted to do. This film was to be called Beyond the Beyond. <laughs> you... This needs to be made. Was it made? 
It was not made. Apparently, the script has only been read by three people, and that is Sage Stallone, the producer of the restoration, along with Bob uh, Marozowski, who is the other producer, and Quentin Tarantino. It, it must be super good, then, if only three people have read it. I think it's just a legal quagmire, which That's is preventing it from getting released. In all, ser- all seriousness, like everyone said it was like supposed to be awesome. Oh, really? Um, wow. The film features... Sins, how would you pronounce that name? Hold on, I have to look. Uh, Sinzia, come on. Sinzia Monreali <laughs> as the character of Emily, the uh, the blind person who uh, experienced came back from the beyond. Um, Monreali went on to appear in Fulci's The New Gladiators, aka Warriors of the Year 2072. I'm probably way off on that Cinzia pronunciation, by the way. That so. yeah, makes the most sense. And uh, he, she also appeared in Fulci's TV film, The Sweet House of Horrors. Uh, she would later appear in Dario Argento's The Stendhal Syndrome in 1996 with uh, Asia Argento. Uh, the Beyond also features a reunion of Fulci and actor Al Kiver as Dr. Harris. Kiver, as we all know from his appearance in Zombie as the boat Captain Brian. He's awesome in this movie as well. Yep. He's got a mustache. Mm-hmm. He went from beard to mustache. Yep. Yes. So Vanessa was saying the guy who gets the glass in the face, which he does. To me, the most upsetting death in the entire film because it was entirely unnecessary. <laughs> he just randomly, the wind blows through the door, I guess, and the glass shatters into his face. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you turned away from that scene. It was upsetting. Like, what? Why? Why? Because He's get why not? By glass. Exactly. That's the counterpoint. Why I not? I can understand... I can understand tarantulas eating a, a man's face off. Can you? <laughs> but glass just randomly shattering into a man's face and killing him? Come on. The tarantulas were <laughs> waiting for the dude to fall down. Dude cracks his noggin open. The tarantulas are just there. There's like no buildup. <laughs> okay, so... That was the first time we ever saw them in that scene. And then <laughs> they could have dropped them in earlier as like a clue. There was no Chekhov's tarantula scenario. Like, no. It would have been cool if the place was infested with tarantulas or something. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that would be great. We saw them earlier just rubbing their mandibles together. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yep. By the way, like, Vanessa, anytime you want to mic, just grab it from Phil. I know, sorry, I'm tired. She just said, I know, sorry, I'm tired. Okay, so... <laughs> The restoration that we watched tonight was actually done by Bob Marazowski, the Oscar-winning editor of The Hurt Locker. He also edited Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2, as well as Army of Darkness. Um, it is important to note that the film was a flop in North America upon initial release. It was edited to try and make it look like a slasher film, had the score removed, and was titled The Seven Doors of Death. Now, I can't remember. Did we talk about on the podcast how I saw the illegal version of this and the legal print? Yes. I don't remember if you did, to be honest. Was that before? Illegal print? I don't remember that. Before we were recording? Were you talking about the bathroom print? Yeah, the bathroom print. Were we recording? I think we were recording, yeah. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Okay, so I saw I saw the seven. Did you have some of those edibles? (laughs) No, I've 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 ingested some edibles tonight. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good. He was talking to me, Kit. Anyways, it was not seen in North America. And it's by the way, Kit looks like he just got a really nice massage. Thank you, Phil. Okay, so it was not seen in North America in its correct form until 1998 when Bob Marazowski staged Stallone, the son of Sylvester Stallone, and Quentin Tarantino teamed up to give it an uncut theatrical and home video release. It was released theatrically initially through Quentin Tarantino's Rolling Thunder Pictures uh, label and then was put on video uh, as a joint production between Rolling Thunder Pictures, Grindhouse Releasing, and Anchor Bay Entertainment. Um, originally, Fulci wanted zombie actress uh, Tisa Farrow for the lead role, but she had quit acting by this time. 
The actor who played the window cleaner at the start of the film uh, was actually Larry Ray, the head of the Louisiana Film Commission at the time. She, she, Tia Farrow quit acting by this time. Yeah, which was very quick from because they filmed Zombie 2 in 1979. This is just two years later. Less than yeah. two years later. So I guess Zombie 2 was a great experience for her. Well, she followed that up with Zombie Holocaust and, oh, um, and Search and Destroy in 1980. Um, the library set in this film was actually also used in the follow-up film The House by the Cemetery. Lucio Fulci continued his cameos as the librarian who goes to lunch just before the architect is killed by spiders. The production team decided not to work with Italian distributors on this film because they were insisting to make the film a zombie film and to be marketed as a sequel to Zombie 2. Um, so It's kind of a zombie film, part, it, partly. Oh, I'm getting there. So they wound up, they pursued German distributors who actually agreed to distribute the film, ironically, only if they inserted a zombie... <laughs> Only if they inserted a zombie sequence. The German title of the film... <laughs> I originally heard they only agreed to distribute this film, ironically. <laughs> Which... <laughs> oh, we have fun on this podcast, folks. Um, it is a very, very hot night in Toronto tonight. Um, so, finally, my last note here is that the German title of the film is actually The Ghost Town of the Zombies. And so that's all my background on uh, The Beyond. Ghost Town of the Zombies. I love it. It's somewhat accurate. So, guys, let's go through very quickly the beyond, the plot of it. Vanessa, start us off. Oh. Come on. Oh. Okay. It, remember, it starts in the past. Yes, in 1927, 1927 Louisiana. Louisiana. So, there's a... In sepia tone, by the way. Um, so, what's the opening image? Uh, opening image is a house. Yes. <laughs> the, the house. That, the hotel. The, whole, the hotel, I'm sorry. The hotel. That's good. That, movie set in um and then there's men pull up oh no no there's men in boats, the boats and they've got the torches, torches and they're paddling towards the, the hotel the hotel then there's men in cars also happen to have torches <laughs> and everybody's got torches they, they took these torches they took these torches everywhere with them it was like, like it was like the iphone of the 1920s to have a torch with you do you know yeah. how hard it is to light a torch? I mean, pre you got a lid, you're going to want to keep it. Pre-iPhone light. Yeah, um, pre-flashlights, pre-iPhones. Pre-flashlights. Okay, I can't speak. Um, <laughs> and then they enter together, these men, and they're marching through the house and the hotel. hotel. And then what happens? Oh, yeah. They, they find this They find the door, painter. 36. Room 36. 36. Yes. That's important. Because mm-hmm. we see that number again and again. Yes, because it is the haunted room in the hotel. Right, and there's an art, a painter inside the room. Who is painting a visage of the damned. Yeah, he's Ooh. doing some like pretty uh, pretty cheesy William Blake stuff, you know. It's actually and the there's pa- bodies. <laughs> yes, in the-, in, the, in the painting, is it is a uh, it is a windswept backdrop with bodies lying in it. Windswept backdrop? Is that what you just said? That's what I said. Yeah, desolate mm-hmm. and uh, dreary. rocky, dreary, mm. colorless. In sepia tone. Yes. Well, the whole... It's all in sepia tone. It's all in sepia tone. And then they all... They they trap him. They start beating him. With chains. With chains. Which immediately yeah. have, like, really gory consequences. Like, they slap him once with a chain, and there's a huge gash right. on his face where you can see his cheekbone and blood, like, squirting out immediately. And it's like, wow, this escalated quickly. Jesus. This movie is super gory. Yeah, he's like missing half of his face at this point after like two lashings. Yeah. One lash, he's missing half his face. Yeah. yeah he got a lot of lashings. Also, while is, all this is going on, yeah. the character of Emily is reading the book of Abon right. in a different room. That's Spelt, important. That's actually very important. Spelled all caps yeah. E I B O N. 
Yeah, spelled backwards, it actually spells Bani. Or Nobi. Oh, Nobi, right. Sorry. I'm tired. I was going B-O-N-I-E. Nobi. It's also an anagram for I bone. If if that means anything, I'm not sure it does to the point. It doesn't. There are skeletons, so mm-hmm. or, or buy one. So, anyways, um, did she mention the seven? Did she mention the seven gates? Yes, the seven gateways, gateways to hell. Sorry, yeah, hell. of which the hotel is built upon one of them. So from there, the uh, the mob drags the painter down to the basement of this hotel in Louisiana, and crucify him by nailing him to a wall, and then start throwing hot plaster on him or waffle mix. We weren't sure. It was hot plaster. It looked delicious. <laughs> this is actually quite a delicious film if you forget that it's it's human beings being torn apart. Yeah. And so... It, it melted his face no matter what. There was plenty of face melting in this And in, this in your film. mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah. As, and as he is there dying against the wall, he basically tells them, don't do this. I am the only one that can stop the, the gateway from opening because they're there to kill him because... He is a practitioner of the Book of Abon, and he uh, he basically is a devil worshiper, whatever they would call him. Uh, it's it's like that. They call him a warlock, I think. Did they? And, yeah. And, and he's a bit that. of a hellscape painter as well. Yeah, hellscape a painter, hellscape warlock, painter. and that's the term I was looking for, hellscape. hellscape. So, anyways, they um they wind by doing this, they actually like unlock the gateway of hell that sits on there, but they've sealed him up, and as long as his body is constrained, he is unable to. Uh, to enact his revenge and release hell upon Louisiana. But uh, Emily, who's reading the book of Avon, there's a really cool scene where instantly, as the moment of death for him, it cuts to color for her, the book catches on fire, and then we are introduced to our opening credit sequence. So then... Which, which is a banger of an opening credit sequence. It's against sequence. a backdrop of flames. Yes. It's a So Phil B., after opening credit se- sequence, where do we go from there? We cut to present day Louisiana. Yes. 1981, if you're wondering. Yes. Yes. And there are some men working on the scaffolding, including the... Larry Ray, the Louisiana Louisiana Film Commissioner. Commissioner. And uh, he falls off the scaffolding. Yes. So they're being watched by Katrina McCall's character, Liza, who inherited the, the, the hotel from her uncle, who is wealthy. Yeah, so he falls off the scaffolding and blood pours out of his mouth. Am, am, am I incorrect? He sees somebody in the window, but is it that yes. not the blind woman that we see later in the film? Yes, he sees the blind woman in the window because they are because they are um, fixing up the hotel. All of a sudden, little things start to leak through from mm-hmm. the beyond, including including Liza, who has been stuck in the beyond for nearly mm-hmm. fifty years at this point. Yeah, and Liza he, fall, is the blind he woman. falls yes. off the scaffolding because he gets a serious startle. Yes, and uh, that's when they call in David Warbeck, who plays Dr. McCabe, or John, as he's known, who... who I was just going to say, he looks like a man who was definitely um, on Star Trek, the original series. He has that kind of handsome, Romulan face. I'm not going to look it up, but I I guarantee you we check check his IMDb, he's uh, he's on an episode of Star Trek. He's a product of his generation. (laughs) He was was a European actor, though. He didn't really come over to America that much. It would have been a weekend, come on. (laughs) <laughs> Anyways, back to the film. So we we meet all of them here, and we should point out that John is kind of a con- the most condescending doctor, one of the most condescending male characters in any of the Fulci films we've seen so far. Which that is saying a, something. That is a Fulci trope: the condescending male. Who? <laughs> yeah, are you you're talking about the morgue? 
What about the morgue? Yeah. Well, he is. No. He works at the morgue. He does do he autopsies. Yes. yes, he's the doctor that comes. Oh, the doctor. Yeah, he rushes yeah. to the house. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, and but, he's like, you know, you guys should have just taken him to the hospital, right? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that was his response. Like, he should really go to a hospital. Like, I'm not and equipped then, to deal and with this head trauma. And then up with like, quick, grab his legs. Yeah. <laughs> like, get him in my car. Yeah. The, so, get him in my car. Put him in the backseat. So, That's I fine. Mean, <laughs> sit, <laughs> Suffice it to say, he didn't he's even a, check his pulse. He just kind of. <laughs> he looks sick. He looks <laughs> the, the doctor is a complex character. Yeah, and that's wait, that's Plumber Joe too. We didn't really get to Plumber Joe. No, no, we're not Plumber Joe. That's not Plumber Joe. Plumber Joe dies in the basement. I thought that's who. Uh, okay. No, that's Larry Ray who falls off the scaffolding. That's right. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that, um, after he gets brought off, we see Plumber Joe's plumbing arrive, and it's Plumber Joe who's there to fix the pipes because. There's no water coming out of the pipes upstairs, but the basement is flooded. And so he goes down there, and this is when the film really kicks into gore craziness. This is when Vanessa yeah, let out a little It smolders yelp. a little just before that. Well, because yeah, Farmer... Farmer? Plumber no, Joe. Plumber Joe, not Farmer Joe. Joe. Farmer Joe, who does a lot of plumbing around town. He's by far the handsomest actor He's in this swarthy. Movie. He's like the definition of the word. He's, He's got, got this, a thick, oh rich God. beard, and he just stands there with this masculine stoicism. Like this big just nose, these dark sexuality. eyes. Yeah, it's the Italian special. Like, the Italians know how to pick those men. He's wearing this little, like, Listen, cap. A lot happens to the to him in this movie, but he never loses that. No, he's constantly just, like, he's always just a... Just just hot steam rising off his a shoulders. A tall drink of water, as they used to say. It's, his chest hair is like an artwork. It's just... We get to see it later in the film. Yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. He, um, yeah, he, uh, he has a connection to a character named Martha who shows up around this time. I think they just know her, like they know each other, because like he kind of gives her a knowing look, and you think like, oh, is Martha trying it's, to get on Joe's plumbing? I'm just but, amazed <laughs> that you guys can keep track of all the names in this. It's oh, we have, we have we have a lot of experience. Yeah, Mar- Martha, Martha, she's the one who's on Five Hour Snape Energy. Yes, yeah. exactly. I, I actually wrote that down. Just before she entered the film, she just she took- is uh she's the caretaker of the hotel who who works for the hotel before uh, our our main lead. Uh, what's her name again? Liza. Liza? Uh, Liza? I thought Liza. she was a blind woman. No, Liza no, is right, Emily. Right. Sorry, Emily is the blind woman. I gotcha. Um, but we did decide that the caretaker was on five-hour Snape energy drinks, which you can buy at the supermarket or the hasty market. Um, <laughs> Just makes you really intensely dour. It's it's like, basically it turns you into Alan Rickman. From, Sorry, dear. Uh, <laughs> and so her son, Arthur, is also helping. Sorry, that Harry Potter money. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no. Sponsorship. No, no, we don't. There are no ads on this podcast. Um, back to the film. Plumber Joe goes down into the basement to investigate the plumbing scenario, and Kit, take it from there. Um, well, he, so he goes down there. He meets Martha, Martha the caretaker, and they're they're all waiting waiting through the water. Um, nobody's wearing any waders. They're just like, well, I'll just clean these pants later. Um, these boots that I'm wearing, I guess that's a write off. Um, and they, uh, I guess that's the, there's a leaking problem down there, obviously, because there's too much water. They have to wade. So Plumber Joe goes to fix it, and, uh, he finds a section of the wall where there's a tap leading into the wall that's leaking, and he's like, I'm gonna take up my plumber's hammer, and I'm gonna hammer the wall around this pipe, and that will maybe, uh, reveal the source of the problem. And so he starts hammering the wall, and uh, things go bad for him. <laughs> By bad, you mean the arm? He basically like 
goes through one wall, finds an entirely hidden area of the basement, goes to that, finds the back wall of that where the where the symbol of Abon has been painted onto the wall, and he sees like this weird well, wall of, of gunk. This, what's what was the director's name again? Lucio Fulci. So, so it's Fulci's daughter's tattoo. That's yeah, on the exactly. Wall. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> gotta be straight about this. Every, every time you see it in the film, if I rewatch this, it'll be like "fuck you, daughter." So Plumber Joe is like trying to chiseling away at this weird wall, but it's all mushy. And then he notices some of it falls away, and there's something in there, but he can't quite make it out. And then all of a sudden, bang! The uh, the hand of the artist reaches through and pulls out and like basically pokes his eyeball out and this is where vanessa jumped and screamed which it was which was awesome by the way thank you for doing that his eyeball goes sideways yeah like, well because the finger goes in the corner and that drives yeah. the eyeball out the side of the uh, side of his head it's it's one of our most favorite i think uh fulci tropes which is eye trauma yeah significant eye trauma and well, i think he tops himself in this film well, there is at least what what three four I think we counted four yeah. three, three. bouts of serious yeah. eye trauma. But this particular eye trauma, like you could like give the Friday the 13th 3D treatment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's that's there too. So anyways, Joe is now dead. Martha comes down, discovers his body, and he is brought to the morgue. But they also find the body of the architect who was also brought to the morgue. Who was covered in waffle batter, as we saw earlier. Or plaster, as we know. Um, so then, where do we go from there? Who wants to take it from there, the morgue scene? Vanessa, take it from there. I'm trying to remember. So it's we're when uh, in the morgue scene. This is where we're, we in, the, we're in the morgue scene. We're in the morgue. This is a do not enter. No, we're in the scene. hallway first, right? Isn't no, we're in the, the morgue first. No, no, no. But like the mother and daughter are waiting in the hallway. That's that's a little bit afterwards, but it's close enough. So this is where we meet Doctor Norris, who's played by Al Kiver. <laughs> okay. And then take it from there. Sorry, who do we meet? So, so we meet Al Kiver, the mustachioed doctor that we were all like, hey, it's the guy from Zombie. Um, um, so him and, and David Warbeck kind of like finish up their stuff, but the mother and daughter are waiting out in the hallway. Yeah. Take it from there, Vanessa. What happens and then, next? Wait, what was the funny? It says, do not entry. Do not entry. Yeah, so the signs, all the interiors here were shot in Italy, and I guess they, they had like an English to Italian Bible or an, an Italian to English, uh, not Bible, dictionary. And... Um, and they like just did a word for word translation of do not enter in Italian becomes do not entry in English. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? Okay, so the mom goes in, she ignores the sign and uh, the daughter's waiting Waiting outside. at the hall, yeah. And then uh, she sees her, okay, so she goes to her husband and then I'm trying to She basically remember. starts dressing him for the funeral, oh, which yeah, is very bizarre. Because you're like, what? in what world does the widow dress the corpse to be buried? Does she put something in his hands, or is she, it like a flower? No, she has like a little a little necklace like that she puts around his, around right, his around his neck. It's like a rosary. It well, maybe it's not a rosary. A rosary? No. Something religious, probably. They're, they're a yeah. very dour mother and, and daughter. And then she screams. Like, well, well, one thing that really struck me was that she had to get the suit from somewhere. I mean, she's at home. Yeah. She's looking in her husband's closet. She's like, hmm. I'm going to the morgue today. I'm going to bring him a suit. Back, yeah. And then she had to sneak in. Like, this but is very premeditated. This, she didn't, there was no sneaking into this. Well, this is just, in the logic of the film, the, the widow dresses the corpse. No, but like... She's got to get him she, dressed. Like, she didn't have an appointment. She didn't go talk to somebody. She just went in she and put clothes like, on the guy. That all happened off screen. Among, like, among all these other dead bodies. I'm just saying... The, the logic doesn't add up for this. But really? Yeah, <laughs> the logic doesn't add up? We actually missed a bit, though, here that's a little bit important. The uh, You were talking about the uh, David Warbeck, who's the head doctor, I guess, the yes, hospital, yes. who also poses a mortician. And uh, what's his name? Dr. Norris, a.k.a. Al Kiver. Al Kiver. I don't remember his name as Dr. Norris. He does look a little like Chuck Norris in this film with the mustache and he does, stuff. He does, he does. He does. Um, 
There, uh, Doctor. Uh, I'm gonna. I want to call him Doctor Warbeck. His name is John. Dr. I don't McCabe. know if I, McCabe. Doctor McCabe. John McCabe. Uh, he heads out and he's like, "Hey, don't you start that uh, uh, autopsy on that um, old painter guy? I, I want to do that later." Um, and Al Cliver is like, "That's fine. I'll, I guess I'll wait." And he sits there, and they've got a brain scan. Is it? You- they call it a brainwave monitor. It looks like a heart monitor, and it behaves like a heart monitor, so I guess his brainwaves match like a heartbeat. Um, but when Al Cliver's not looking, that thing starts to go off, like a little indication that the brainwaves of the... Well, I guess he would be 68... Six, what? 50, year, 50 years dead? The Her painter? Is 1927 to 1981 is 70. 30... 30. What? 70? 54 years. Okay, so I was 60. I wasn't that far off. Okay. Anyways, glad we cleared that up. Um, so... But anyway, his brainwaves are still going. He's, he's 54 years dead. So what happens next? Ah, she's so... The, the wife... The mother screams. Screams. At something off camera. We see this glass of fluid and oh, it Al falls Oh, Al Cliver has left, by the way. He's yes. not present it's for tipping. you. Know. It's, it's tipping. It's tipping. It's, it's tipping. tipping. It's tipping. And then we cut to the daughter who hears a scream. Yeah, yep. and she She's rushes outside in. and she rushes in, ignoring the no entry sign. Do not entry. Do yep. not entry, yeah. Um, Nobody gives a shit about and that sign. She finds that, that her this vibe, her mom's lying on her back on the floor under this shelf and this jar on the top of the shelf is tipped over and it's pouring something we assume would be acid and it's just melting her mom's face and there's this bubbly kind of delicious looking red fluid <laughs> just oozing off of it it looks like something that would come off a milkshake like a cherry milkshake it but it's blood and foam mixed together it's, yeah it's like blood bubbling with acid yeah. and, and it it's spreads like, so oh, far it's, it's about spreading to go on to the her floor. feet to it's the daughter's foaming. feet yeah it's spreading along the floor and the, the, the poor daughter is like trapped and mm. uh, she doesn't want to step in it and she's trying to open doors and she can't get out and, and then yeah and then the, the scene just runs corpse, out of, yes. and a corpse falls or no a corpse looks at her corpse and, look, well we and don't know if it looks at her but it's definitely hanging there and it's kind of falling towards her and she screams and it free, free, freeze frames yeah. freeze frames and then it cuts yeah, the, to the, the one freeze frame funeral. in the whole film then it cuts yeah. to the funeral of her parents. He could only use one, so he and had to her, use a wise And she's looking down, thing. so we're we're sort of wondering what's going on, and then what happens? Yeah. Re- Take it away, there's Phil. There's a reveal. Yep. What happens next, Phil? Uh, the reveal when the corpses fall out of the closet. No, no, no. We're at the funeral. Vanessa jumped ahead. Yeah, we so the funeral. Vanessa brought us to the funeral where the little girl is looking down and uh, Liza shows up to comfort her because now both of her parents are dead for some reason. And then you see she is blind. Yes, I, I actually, I was taking notes, and I meant to write down in my notes Vanessa was right, but I just wrote down Vanessa. I forgot, I, I was too stoned, and I didn't bother with that. Uh, but Vanessa predicted this. Yeah, Vanessa called it right away, and she's blind too. And then it turns out that Vanessa was right. So, Moral of the story. The moral of the story, Vanessa is right. Listen to women. <laughs> That's true. You, you called it right away. Because that's the thing. If David Warbeck had listened to Liza at all, then they wouldn't be in the situation of like, holy crap, we're in the beyond. If if he had listened to his daughter, he mm-hmm. would have realized that the tattoo on her arm was not some weird symbol. It was actually a symbol for Jupiter that he saw on its side. Oh, I didn't realize that. That's interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the astrological symbol for Duke Jupiter. But she, uh, he's, he must have seen it in mm-hmm. passing, you know, like on the arm. The arm can rotate, right? Yeah. And so it must have been just at a different mm-hmm. angle. And he's like, that looks dumb. I'm going to put it in my movie. But he ends up being the one that looks dumb. And, well, the crazy thing is that when you put that symbol at that angle, it actually I mean, unlocks. On top of uh, <laughs> New Orleans having basements. It's... Yeah, it's another. Yeah. It's just, you know, needed a little more research. Mm-hmm. But guess what? They didn't have time for that. It was 1981. He made three movies that year. He made Gates of Hell. He made... No, he didn't do... That was 80. He did The Beyond. He did uh, House by the Cemetery and The Black Cat. Three movies, one year. Shot on film on, like, three different continents. It's crazy. Again, what's The Black Cat about? That's the Edgar Allan Poe adaptation. Oh, sweet. Yeah, we gotta watch that. Okay. Oh, we're fading faster in the summer in Toronto. It's a lot of work. Um, so let's, let's skip ahead. So like, basically this film becomes like a horror show. We see Eliza. to what it was before. <laughs> it's, it's, um, it's essentially a zombie flick. But not. But not. Yeah. And, and so these corpses keep on showing up in the strangest places. But there, we have, you haven't seen City of the Living Dead, AKA Gates of Hell. Cause in that we realize they're not zombies in the traditional sense. They are dead people who can materialize. Well, then we see Liza driving, uh, driving down some one of those cool European like over the sea bridges. Ex- that except that was in Florida. Oh, well, there you go. It's going to one of the keys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh man, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, there's no. Just, there's a scene I, I wanted to recap, but it just. Well, this is just, when she meets the blind woman whose name she meets I can't. The blind woman. The and Dickie the dog. Well, yes, the blind woman and Dickie the dog. What's the blind woman's name? Liza. No, sorry, Emily. Emily. Okay. So, anyways, uh, Emily fills in Liza on hey. Well, uh, things she asked, are. She has to talk for Emily because Emily's standing in the middle of the road with her dog, Dickie. That's how she gets a hold of Which Liza. Which she says a lot. <laughs> uh, so then Liza, or sorry, Emily tries to dissuade Liza from staying at the hotel, reopening it because. Emily, unbeknownst to us, and Liza actually went to the beyond with the painter and stayed there for nearly 50 years until she was able to escape. Um, So uh, Emily repeatedly tries to tell Liza, hey, stay out of that hotel. Don't go to the basement. Don't go into room 36. Liza then does both. She goes into room 36, breaks open the door, sees the book of Abon sitting there and the corpse of the painter crucified to the wall, despite the fact that happened in the basement. Have, have we revealed to the listeners yet? I'm, I'm a little uh, drunk and stoned. Uh, have we revealed to the listeners yet that, uh, that 36 is three sixes? Am I getting no, we have not. Yeah. So Phil, Phil Sportel so, pointed out... Cut out the bit about me being drunk and stoned and then go back to this. I can't. Uh, you, you just blurred your words together too much. So... Phil Sportell pointed out that, um, hey, the room is 36, it's three sixes, 666, 666 is the devil's number, and that's about as far as that went. Um, So anyways, um, at that point, where are we now? So at this point, Liza's talking to David Warbeck's character, and she is telling him, like, hey, there's something going on in my hotel. I think it's ghosts. There's someone living at that old house by the crossroads. David Warbeck is a little skeptical because... As far as he knows, because he knows everyone in this area, apparently, which he keeps saying, I've never heard of this woman, Emily, and I've never heard of anyone living in the house by the crossroads. So he himself takes a trip to the house by the crossroads while Liza is investigating more of the the haunted house. And he basically breaks into the house by the crossroads, finds the book of Avon, reads it cover to cover in like a, a day or something, 
while Liza is attacked by the corpse. Oh, uh, the corpse of Arthur, who is now in the basement. Yeah, she goes down to the uh, the the crypt, the flooded basement for some reason. Well, she's trying to find answers. God darn it! And uh, so she goes down there to she goes down there to try and figure out stuff. But then, what we should point out: Arthur is Martha's son. So Martha is the woman from the start of the film that kind of has the hots for uh, Joe? Joe's plumbing. Yeah, she's already been in room thirty six. Uh, no, she was not in room... Th- uh, she was she in room was. before this. That's where she finds the crucified body of the painter. That's Liza. Martha doesn't find the crucified body of the painter. Mar- Martha's five-hour snape. Bardak, take it away. What's that? What's next? Uh, where are we now? We are now... So anyways, Martha goes into room 36 to try and clean up. She sees the disgusting uh, bathtub, which she uh, reaches into. Also delicious. <laughs> No, what no, was that, this Vanessa? Is scene, this is the scene. I wanted to recap this one because oh, okay. she re- this. It's brilliant. Like this film, it, it occasionally does foreshadowing, but often pays it off only a moment later. Like earlier, <laughs> yeah. we saw the guy get like nailed to the wall with spikes. The flashback, yes. the, the opening scene. The guy gets nailed to the wall with spikes, and then the next scene, the plumber is using a similar spike. That's like seven scenes later. Seven yeah, scenes later. But in yes, this one, he, used, he does it in record time. Okay? So she pulls, she, she reaches into this water. It looks like it's, looks like, this looks like an iced coffee with crap floating on the top. She reaches down into it and she pulls out a tuft of, guess what? Hair. Hair. Like, and then what like happens? Chest. The, the tub starts to drain mm-hmm. and you see chest hair. And you see, you beard actually see hair. beard, yeah. And the it's, water drains away, and mm-hmm. it reveals the most beautiful man you've ever seen. Well, it's now the corpse of Joe the plumber. Still swarthy though. Anyways, he. I, I don't know. He kills her or something. I, I, I stopped paying attention. He jams her into the chisel. What does he, he do, Vanessa? He pushes her against the wall with his bare hands. So he grabs Martha. He grabs her by the face, and mm-hmm. then he keeps backing her and this is a a like telegraphed death scene right you can see the uh the nail there that you can see the nail as she's the nail sticking out of the wall which is her head getting closer and closer yeah 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 it's tense we were very tense and then and then you know i think she was she was resisting but in the end he killed her he just bashed her head bardak you you need the the mic the chisel and there's a the sound i have to say the sound design it's pretty it really adds that like grotesque like that gory like it takes the gore to another level and then what happens when the when to be more specific to be more specific it is telegraphed eye trauma yes that's what i was getting at vanessa so what happens when the when the spike goes through the back of her head yeah it goes through her oh no what happens her eyeball yeah yeah, yeah. and it pokes out yes yeah see there's something in this film for everybody (laughs) yeah It's two at this point, I believe. It's two, and then so. Although the, no, both both the plumber Joey's Joe's Joey, Joe's eyes get uh, kind of forced out. Only of one does. No, but in the in the special effects makeup later, both. Yeah. yeah. Both. We you only see, see one. So I guess okay, we'll only count one. Yep. So it's two so far. So while all this is going on, the architect for the hotel, who has been trying to convince Liza, like, hey, you should expand the basement, put in a kitchen have a restaurant, maybe a laundromat, so you can actually like, do guest laundry, they can stay for a lot longer. Um, she sends him to the local library to investigate the actual original designs for the hotel. So he goes there, meets Lucio Fulci, who is playing the librarian who has to go out to lunch. Uh, Lucio Fulci points him where to go. He goes out to lunch. 
the architect <laughs> climbs up the ladder, and then all of a sudden, lightning strikes. And he is thrown from the ladder to the ground. We get some head trauma. Bang! He cannot move. He is paralyzed. There was a lot of those lightning strikes in this movie. It got me every time. Yep. Constantly frightening. And then the uh, this is when the tarantulas come into play. So we see as he is struggling Jesus. to re- maintain consciousness, three tarantulas appearing in the distance. And they, I have a question. The guy, that guy? Yes. Who is he in the film? He is the architect that is assisting oh, Liza that. on remodeling Sorry. the hotel. Right. Okay. I couldn't remember if he was the agent or the... You said architect. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. That went over my head. That's okay. So um, so basically the, the spiders come in. And this sequence is gnarly. We see these these like bunch of tarantulas just go to town on the architect's face. They like bite into his ear. They eat his eyeball. They rip out his nose. And then they go for the... They rip out his lips, and then they go for the tongue and just bite the tongue. And by the time they they skitter out away, like he is no more. Like he is now basically like essentially a jack o' lantern for as a human being. So a third piece of eye trauma. He's like a jack o' lantern yeah. the first week of November. Exactly. Exactly. That's how I would describe it. So now David Warbeck is convinced. Wait, wait was yeah? this the longest kill sequence in the whole film? I think so. It went on for like what felt like a good five to ten minutes, and this movie's only eighty-seven minutes long. It was is by far the most disgusting, and I think it's the most disgusting I've seen in a Fulci film, which is saying a lot because that yeah. means it's the most disgusting thing I've seen in a film. He spends a lot of time with the spiders. Yeah, you you got you guys missed the grossness and of In Gates of like, Hell. So a, a lot of arachnophobia don't see this movie, or you should see it because it'll just confirm your fear. So many of the kills in this film, it's like one body part gets impaled, one thing gets chewed out, something gets broken, someone gets melted, whatever, right? But this one, it's just lovingly crafted. Every bit of his face gets snipped up by a tarantula at some point. It's fantastic. I, I applaud it after every, it. Like, just, yeah. He must have really had a good time making that. Yeah. Bardak, do you want the mic? Oh, sorry, no, I was just yawning. Okay. It, it's, you know, some filmmakers will do, like, suggestion, like, oh, I guess he gets his face ripped off or something. And some filmmakers are like, I'm going to show every part of that happening. Yeah. Over a 15-minute sequence. It's going to be great. Well, considering you need how... to pad out that 87-minute <laughs> runtime. Okay, considering how, how long the drill sequence went in City of the Living Dead, where we see the drill go into the guy's head, through his brain, and out the other side, yeah, I'd say it's on par. Um, so then... Basically, Liza is being... Uh, oh, no. Emily now is surrounded by the, the recently dead, all led by the dead painter. And so she sicks Dickie on them, saying, Dickie, attack. Yeah, attack Dickie. Yeah, Dickie a lot in this scene. Attack Dickie, attack. But that's the dog's name. And the dog attacks and maims the painter. And then she thinks she's safe, but then the dog turns on her. And in another gory scene, he the dog rips out her throat and then rips her ear off. It's her first bit of ear trauma. It's very exciting. New ground uh, Fulci is covering in this film. That's the one thing, Fulci. He is an innovator of violence. He's, he's, pushing he's the literally in your face. Yeah. <laughs> that Wait, should be maybe the title he, of his biography. Maybe he translated, mistranslated from English. He's like, oh, I'm going to make in-your-face movies. What does that mean? And he goes through and he's like, oh, in-your-face. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's what the audiences trauma. want. Mm-hmm. Face trauma. So now uh, David Warbeck, a.k.a. Dr. McCabe and Liza reunite. Uh, Dr. McCabe is still not convinced. He says that awesome line, even after seeing a whole bunch of craziness, I'm a doctor. Why don't you believe me? I'm a doctor. That's how you know he was on Star Trek. Yeah. Um, but he soon starts believing her when the corpse is. So 
he visits they go downstairs into the the basement where all of a sudden there's thunder and lightning and that great score by Fabio Frizzi and um, <laughs> what that's his name you said it with a little gusto Fabio Frizzi um, just like my hair right now uh, it's Frizzi um, so so um, this is where David Warbeck is still like nah I don't believe this I'm a doctor they drive to the hospital after leaving the um, the basement, and this is where the poop hits the fan, as they say. They don't say that. I thought the poop hit the fan at a pretty regular pace throughout this film. Yeah, it was. Every fan was pooped on. Um, <laughs> that came out way dirtier than I thought it would. I apologize. Certainly made me feel pooped on as a fan. Wait, has anyone sworn this episode? Because I'll do the honors. Yes, yes, Kit did. Oh, you did. I'm what sitting you in Lillian's say? chair. Mother, I feel an obligation. Uh, Motherfucker. That's an easy edit. I just go snip, snip, and you're gone. I know. That's why I did it. <laughs> what did you want to say, so Vanessa? Wait, can't, uh, so what's the like most profane thing you guys have said on the show? Oh, or you cut it oh, all out. Lillian. You cut it out, though. <laughs> Lillian definitely. You couldn't cut it out because she swore all the... No, like, we, um, we bleep Lillian. Oh, you bleeped yeah, her. Yeah, I bleep uh, a lot of the bleeps, but... Um, gotcha. Okay, then yeah, I won't no, swear. I don't want to be bleeped. Yeah, Lillian, you 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 actually. I'll swear. <laughs> you actually are. Which episode was that where she called in? Shit. No, no. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is yeah. this is going off the rails. Okay. Vanessa, you actually sorry. called into an episode that we answered. What? Yeah. That was, did, was that zombie? You, you were calling me. And, oh, and we put you on, and you we bleep you in that episode. That might have been Monster Dog. Right, 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 right. No. No, that was that was zombie. No, that was later. Oh, zombie. I remember this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So, anyways, again. Vanessa needs to talk into a microphone. Um, I'm done. Okay, cool. Sorry. Okay. You you were wrapping up. It was. I'm trying I felt to. Like it yes, was so I'm close. trying hard to wrapping up. I've got a second wind right now. Yes. So, anyways. The hospital. This is the end, isn't it? Yes. Well, they get to the hospital. So they get to the hospital, and this is where all of a sudden, as I was saying, the poop hits the fan, and it becomes a zombie movie. And it becomes basically becomes a zombie movie at the behest of the German distributors. So the. So the. So we get that dreaded learning curve that exists in all zombie movies where they're like, oh, I gotta shoot this thing that's coming towards me. Let me try the stomach. But the best thing is, David Warbeck, the Dr. McCabe, takes Liza to his office where he pulls a gun out of his desk. Because that's what you need as a doctor in your desk in your office in a hospital is a a six-shooter. Hey, this is America. That's true. America. Open carry. Um, So... He now has to, like, shoot every zombie that they see in the stomach or shoulder until he finally realizes, hey, headshots count. Um, <laughs> him and Liza get separated. Liza goes down to the morgue, and he goes into another room where he runs into his good friend and our uh, one of our favorite actors, uh, Al Kiver, playing Dr. Norris. And Al Kiver's just like, what is going on? This makes no sense. <laughs> I, l- I love that Al Kiver's been at the uh, hospital for this whole time. Of course. <laughs> Just being like, seriously, the corpses are coming back to life. There's nobody around. It's like, what is happening? Where's my pal Dave? Um, <laughs> yeah, it's all all coming to a head. And then, the, like, David Warbeck's okay. Like, let's get out of here. And that's when the window shatters and all the glass flies through and impales uh, Al Kiver. And angers me. And angers Kit. Poor Al. Yeah, poor yeah, it's Al. It's an excellent scene, though. So... At this point, uh, Katriana, or sorry, um, Liza and uh, David Warbeck. I don't even Katriana. want Katriana. That, that's her real first name. Liza's oh. real first name is Katriana. Last name McCall. Um, David Warbeck and Liza reunite in the morgue, and she finds the little girl. What was her name again? Ellie or something? Uh, damn. 
Uh, <laughs> we had this earlier in the episode. Uh, the the daughter of Plumber Joe, um, who the yeah, we saw her earlier. She she came in and she saw her mother get a, getting acid poured on her face. Anyway, she's still at the morgue, and Liza finds her, and she's like, "Oh, it's okay. Come with me." But she, you know, she was not like it's not like she stayed there the entire time. We saw her at the funeral afterwards, so she left the morgue. Exactly. This is she's back at the morgue. This is the painter using strategic placement of a <laughs> known factor to drop the guard down of David Warbeck and Liza. Oh, David Warbeck runs into Liza and the little girl in the elevator, which they then take down to the morgue, where the corpses are starting to stand. Yes. No, no, you continue. Sorry. What were you going to say? No, no, there's a big switch, like the big twist. Remember, they go down. Oh, we're getting yeah, to you're, it. You're yeah, you're there. You're almost there. Sorry. So, so the zombies are coming in, and this is when all of a sudden the, the corpse of the painter emerges from the icebox in the morgue and starts to slowly stalk towards him. And David Warbeck again forgets how to shoot zombies. He's 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 become like Donnie Deadeye with all these zombies. He's like headshot, 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 just downing them all. And then the painter zombie comes out, and he's like, a stomach? Left shoulder? I don't know where to shoot this thing. He never tries for the head. It drives me nuts. And then just as the painter's getting close, the little girl attacks Liza, and Liza screams, and David Warbeck just turns around, and bam! We see the little girl's head explode in a great scene. Phil was suggesting maybe it was an angle thing, his arm hurt, and he couldn't raise the gun to shoot at the painter. A little fibromyalgia. (laughs) Yeah, okay. So maybe that's an explanation. You know, he's not going to say it out loud. No. They're out of bullets. He's yes. out of bullets, so bullet. they run away. They he throws take, the gun away. He throws the gun away. Expensive gun, you know. He might. It might be a fair family heirloom. And they take an like, elevator. Well, they they take an exit, which exit. leads to a stairwell, and all of a sudden, right. where are they, Vanessa? They're back in the back basement, in the basement of the hotel. And now, where do they go from there, Philip Bardak? They go through a couple of doors, and then they are in the painting. The beyond. Which is where they instantly recognize, oh no, we're in the painting, oh no, we're in the beyond. They turn around and there's nowhere to go. And they try to run away, but oh no, they are blinded. And then they disappear. Credits. This is where we get all the the hobo actors, the hobo extras. Yes, the homeless Italians playing the dead bodies. You You can play the littlest hobo too. Yeah. Like, Maybe like tomorrow. Your... I want. That was the same. Uh, Dicky was the same dog. He was a German was, shepherd. Was a German could, could we get away with starting like a, a ska band called Homeless Italians? Homeless Italians. I would like that. <laughs> I get Dicky Bear from the Mighty Mighty Boss. <laughs> oh, so that was Is that problematic, or can we do it? Because I, I say we do it. I think we can do it. Homeless Italians. <laughs> We will, but we wouldn't pay any attention. The name would have no impact on our performance or what we do. No, no cheesy Italian accents. No, yeah. No, it wouldn't be like Mario and the Plumbers or whatever. Or Mario and the Luigi's. Um, kind of thing. No. Anyways, guys, so that was the Beyond. Yay. Here's the thing, guys. I wear red. The rest of you, you wear green. <laughs> so, anyways, that was the Beyond. Yay! We did it. Yay. We got through it on this very hot and sticky night in Toronto. Oof, I am bushed. Um, so let's do this. Philip Sportel, what are your final thoughts on Lucio Fulci's The Beyond? Do you want my my honest? Yes, opinion? I want. We want. We only have honest opinions for I our final thoughts. Opinions. Yes. Um, wrong answers only. Wrong answers. I mean, I think I said it earlier. Like, it, it it did play a lot like you described it at the beginning. Like that he had a bunch of cool scenes that he really wanted to to do, and he strung it together with the plot. He's like, you know what? This is all caused by hell being nearby. 
you know? And then the, the distributors were like, we need some zombies. And it just all kind of fell together. I, lo- I like, love that description of his creative process. Because you're like, oh, maybe he's, you know, he's been doing some research on, on different symbol- symbols or, you know, kind of different paganology or something like that. No, he's like, what if, like, hell was close to this hotel and demons? Yeah. And that and- was kind of his creative process, according to the... Uh, it's a real Reese's Pieces moment of he put the peanut butter in the chocolate and the chocolate in the peanut butter and realized it was gold. Yeah, and then poured it into a bowl of Skittles. Yeah. Taste the rainbow. Uh, do you have anything else to say, Phil, about the Beyond? Um, let me, let's just let's just go around. Maybe we can do a couple passes. I'll see what I come up with. Vanessa Young, what are your final thoughts on Lucio Fulci's The Beyond? Did you enjoy um, the film? I was entertained. You were scared as well, I which was I, was, I was thrilled by. And I'm a scaredy cat. When but that's wonderful. Movie. That's why you watch a horror movie, because yeah. you get that. It's been described that horror films um, provide you with extreme empathy. Oh. That's the actual term that a, a recent a psychologist recently came up with. It's like, why do people like horror films? It's like, because for that one moment, you are given this jolt of extreme empathy. Oh, really? Jolt of empathy? Yes. Okay. So I'm empath- empath- empathetic? No, you're, empathic? You're very, empathic? No, 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 no. That's no, no, another. No, that, that's from Star Trek. Empath is different. <laughs> empath is different. Yeah. Counselor no. Troy. That's Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. Yes, you're compassionate. You felt for the character. Like when Plumber Joe had his eyeball poked oh, out, you, you were startled. And that that's yeah. a good sign where it's like, to me, I'm like, like, yeah, his eyeball got ripped out. Right. But you were very that much taken That was the first in. scare of the film, yeah. I think. The, like, it the was. The first really good scare of the film. Is it empathy or is it more like, man, my eyeball, uh, I want that I want that yeah. in my head. I don't want it to... That's empathy. That's feeling what other people feel. I, okay. I think right. if anything, he nailed like the... Um, the just like a dream sequence, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like things didn't make a whole lot of sense, but it. I felt like he got a whole. Like that's it's what a nightmare is shot. like. Yeah, yeah, and it looked oh. good. Mm-hmm. Any other th- thoughts, Vanessa? Mm, I don't. I would be. I would be interested in seeing his other work just to get a. It's very fascinating. Sense of his oeuvre, what he left mm-hmm. behind. <laughs> it's very similar. Similar. Okay. Philip Bardek, what are your final thoughts? I really enjoy this. I think this yeah. is my second or third time watching it. Um, it still barely makes sense, but that's okay. That does yeah. not matter. And we'll put that right on the box cover. Barely makes sense, but that's okay. Philip Bardak, 2019. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, uh, visually, it just pops in every scene. Brilliant sound design. Great gore. I do have to... Lots with, of fun. With the sound design, I kind of think that might be the process of the restoration, because I think the original sure. like Italian version that was like mixed in a weekend probably didn't have the same probably sound design not. it was like but the way it is now mm-hmm. with the it's so watched, good yeah, yeah yeah like when when the um the uh, the house was shaking and crumbling mm-hmm. it felt like my house was shaking and crumbling it, yeah, yeah well you have that surround sound going but it Given really that we're did. basically in a basement and uh, yes and that could happen very damp basement um so because we're all sweating so much phil any more thoughts no that's pretty much it Okay. Kit, what are your final thoughts on Lucio Fulci's The Beyond? Oh, man. I uh, I really enjoyed it. It's first time watch for me. Um, and I don't know. It was just a lot of fun. Uh, I thought of similar to his uh, Gates of Hell, where it's very atmospheric. The gore is extraordinarily excessive. As I said, I think, earlier in the podcast, this is probably the goriest film I've seen. It's got, the, you know, that good early 80s, late 70s gore where it's practical effects. And you can see, like, the fabric of the fake flesh they have breaking and popping and it's just so gross in a way and the fake blood that oozes in the wrong way that's more gross than like it know, all the... looks kind of edible i mean yeah that's what i kept on coming back to it I was like somehow more gory oh and also but also more palatable 
In a way, yeah. In two ways. <laughs> um, and I I enjoyed it. The Beyond, uh, great title, by the way. I don't think enough of us have uh, commented on what a great title The Beyond is. You, very simple. Any other films called The Beyond? I mean, that, that feels like that should be taken. Nope. There's a Beyond the Gates, a Beyond the Door, no, but they got extra, Beyond Darkness, but they got, nothing else besides that. They got extra nouns. No, The Beyond. That's all you need. There's From Beyond. This from Beyond, yeah. Beyond but, the Poseidon Adventure. Oh, that film, yeah. <laughs> what what is Beyond the Poseidon Adventure? It's just a sequel to the Poseidon That's Adventure. That's the sequel where like still down there under Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> no, no, no. What it is is basically like the um scavengers start to come in uh, to try and salvage. Um yeah, and so for my final thoughts, like I've had a long history with this film. I was aware of it back in the late 90s, like 97, 98, when it was starting to make the festival rounds before it got its home video release. I was very disappointed when my local blockbuster did not carry a copy of it. Um, and I could not convince the local Sydney video to bring in a copy because it was too expensive, because it was a Quentin Tarantino release. They, uh, um, uh, blockbuster did carry some uh, Rolling Thunder Review stuff, though. Rolling Thunder Review? No, what, what was it called? Rolling Thunder Pictures. Yes, thank you. Oh, wow. Is that the one with like Tarantino's mug on the side? Yeah, yeah. That was so they did Switchblade Sisters and Mighty Peking Man and maybe the Chunking maybe Express. Chunking Express for sure. Rolling Thunder Review was the the Bob Dylan concert that I just watched. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so like I like searched for it lo- for a long time. I didn't see it until two thousand and six. Uh, when I rented it from Spin It Video in Moncton, New Brunswick, when I was briefly there. Uh, I loved it since the get-go, although I do have to say, like, the rest, current restoration made it look so much better. The original DVD I saw was pretty washed out and pretty shitty looking. The sound mix was also really too low. So this res- this um, this uh, restoration with the wonderful sound mix, the great 4K scan of the original in-camera negative, which they went all the way to Rome to, to find and scan, which is why at the opening of this film as well in this restoration, it is actually the titles are in Italian, so it's not the, the American version where they did, like, two... Actually, I don't think they did an Amer- no. They did an American title sequence for the Seven Doors of Death, which are no longer there. By the way, Seven Doors of Death is a terrible movie. I've seen it, like I said earlier, and they they chop it down even further from eighty seven to like seventy eight minutes. Good and, length though. And they they take out like they remove the score and put in this weird bad like something some kid did on a Casio over a weekend. Right. So. Because um, Americans, or it's got to be for the American audience or whatever. Well, Americans are going to understand the synthesizer? I don't understand. I don't get they it don't either. They don't like prog music, yeah. They don't like Fabio Frizzi. Um, so anyways, uh, yeah, I love this film. I've loved it for a long time. I'm glad to share it with you guys. Uh, I showed it at one of my movie nights a couple of years ago. Um, and it's still Bill with uh, Black Sunday, I believe. Yes, with Black Sunday, Black Sunday and the Beyond. About the Beyond, because you've been a fan of Lucio Fulci for a long time. For a long time, yeah. I I heard of the Beyond. Um, so I saw without really knowing who Lucio Fulci was. I saw Zombie. I think I saw Zombie first. Yeah, I saw Zombie first because um, I bought the VHS tape from Music World in Sydney, Nova Scotia, and then I found a copy of City of the Living Dead, aka Gates of Hell. Like. No one calls Gates of Hell Gates of Hell anymore. They only call it City of the Living Dead. But I know it is Gates of Hell because I saw the original VHS release copy, which was put out by, I think, Wizard Video, maybe, or Vestron Video back in the 80s. So, like, Sydney Video still had a copy, and I watched it, and it was mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. And so then it was, like, literally through research, early internet research. I think there was a website called HouseOfHorrors.com, which featured reviews of certain films, like, only, like, five or six films. And it was, like, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2... Army of Darkness, Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, Day of the Dead, uh, Night of the Living Dead 90, and then 
uh, Lucio Fulci's The Beyond and, and Zombie, and I think that was it. No Return of the Living Dead. No Return of the Living Dead. Wow. Um, it was a, it was early days of the internet, man. Mm. Bandwidth was expensive, and and so the the author of this website wrote a very loving piece about the Beyond and how like it is his magnum opus. It is the best of the best, and it's you know unavailable right now because he saw. I think he saw a bootleg Italian VHS of it somehow. He smuggled it through or something happened. Um, but yeah, it was it was just, you know, yes? Um, no, 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 because I, I, from what I read, just the little bit of research I did on mm-hmm. the movie, that it seems to be, consensu- the consensus is that it's his best film? I would agree, yeah. I definitely think it's his best film. And I also agree. Yeah. Well, I mean, we I haven't seen all of his films, so I haven't sure. seen, like, his late 80s output or his early 90s output. Which... You think there are some deep cuts in there? No, I, I, I finally was able to find a copy of his long-lost Flashdance homage, mm, Murder Rock. Yeah, you were saying. And great opening sequence, but the film just falls flat after that. Mm. Like, I thought it was going to be a fun film set in a dance studio. It was a fun sequence set in a dance studio and then 70 minutes of boring New York stuff. You um, eye trauma to keep the... Uh... Keep the movie going. That's true. There's no eye trauma. Um, I am. I. I mean. I think his gnarliest film has got to be New York Ripper. Like mm. New York Ripper is that was his. You've threatened to uh, show that to us. Next. Yeah. We, video nasty. Yeah. New video York nasty. Ripper. So New York Ripper was his response to the slasher wave of films because he did Jello's like uh, Dario Argento. Like he did Don't Torture a Duckling and um, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Like two films with great titles. And then New York Ripper, it's something else. Uh, it's definitely like New York as a hellscape, um, which, as the movies driver. have portrayed, is accurate. Well, accurate. I mean, for, accurate for the movies. Um, but yeah, it is it, like The Beyond is definitely his best film. I think it's his most accessible film as well, as as weird and strange as it is. Because Zombie is is good, but Zombie is also it's got its flaws. It's got its flaws. It's not his best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, The Beyond definitely is his best. So with that being said. I'm going to wrap up this episode of Death by Video. Next next week, or whenever I finally edit the next episode, we'll be watching... It'll either be New York Ripper, or we're going to go off-brand with Lucio Fulci and not do a horror film. It's going to be his 1986 erotic drama, oh, The God. Devil's Honey. Ooh, we should all get together and watch The Devil's Honey. It features a saxophone, which can be used to to aid a woman in some way. Anyways, so with that being said, for Death by Video, I've been Phil. I've been Phil. I've been Vanessa. I have not been Phil, I've been Kit. And I am still Graham, saying please be sure to remind me, we'll see you next time. Keep watching awesome movies. Good night and goodbye. <laughs>